Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in these moments, would you now give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. Please speak to our hearts and sanctify us by it and your spirit. Challenge us and encourage us, convict us and comfort us. Grant me the ability to communicate with fluency and fervency and grace. And I ask that you would use me as you see fit. For Christ's sake and the sake of his church, I pray. Amen. Well, I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 3. I need to lay a little groundwork before we jump into our passage this week. Uh, I think it's, uh, it would be helpful for us to consider um, the encouragement. I think it's going to help us, if I lay this groundwork, it will help us to consider the encouragement that uh, Peter gives to both wives and husbands. Uh, first, when we approach passages like this, it is easy for us uh, to read uh, what is written uh, in the context, um, in the context of or through the lens of our current contemporary culture and the current debates that are prevalent. Um, and as a result, it's easy for us to make assumptions or assign particular attitudes or motives uh, and to add more to what Peter said than what he actually said. And it uh, has been, of course, my goal to refrain from that um, and to approach this passage honestly and, of course, reading it and um, in its redemptive and uh, historical context and still see the tremendous relevance that it has uh, for us today. Uh, secondly, while there was a specific household code for the Greco-Roman culture at that time, contrary to what many believe uh, outside the church, and unfortunately a growing number inside of the church may believe, Peter wasn't seeking to uphold that code. Um, one pastor put it this way, instead of patriarchal uh, chauvinism, Peter offered a redemptive vision of the Christian home that we very badly need to recover in our particularly confused and chaotic cultural moment. Um, Peter believed that living in the light of the gospel turned everything upside down. He had seen with his very own eyes, he had seen firsthand that what, because of the gospel, what would um, what was first, right, would become last, and what was last would become first. He had seen with his own eyes that through the gospel, the weak would become strong. And not only would they become strong, they would be instruments through which God fulfilled His purposes. One commentator put it this way, while Peter was affirming aspects of the cultural expectations of his day, he did so for theological reasons that masterfully subverted traditional social structures. For example, the very fact that he addressed, directly addressed slaves and wives and didn't go through husbands or the head of households 
was a way of treating slaves and wives with respect and acknowledged their value and worth, which would have been completely unexpected at the time and probably would have left many jaws open or dropped. He also affirmed man's authority in the home, but he said the foundation was no longer social or philosophical. He said it was based upon the example of Christ. In the words of that same commentator, it is therefore ironic that the words first century slaves and wives would have read as affirming and empowering are criticized by some today as enslaving and oppressive. Third, we need to keep in mind that people, Peter had a couple of presuppositions from which he began that he did not feel the need to explain or defend. One was that marriage is an exclusive, lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. And the other was that there are only two sexes, male and female, and that they were and are biologically different. And of course, those who are honest understand and admit that there are more differences. There are psychological differences, emotional differences, but Peter did not equate weaker with inferior. He also did not believe women were intellectually or morally different, but he did believe they were equal in value and worth in the eyes of God. My fourth introductory point is actually one I want to let Charles um, Cranfield make. He wrote this, Peter is talking about duties rather than rights. Both the wives in verses 1 to 6 and the husbands in verse 7 are told what they are to give, not what they are to claim. He does not say to husbands, your wives ought to be in subjection to you. That would be a charter for domestic tyranny, he says. Nor does he say to the wives, your husbands owe you honor because you are the weaker vessels. Instead, he bids them both to think of their duties. A marriage in which both partners are obsessed with their rights is hardly likely to prove successful. Of course, our culture today is completely obsessed with our rights and what we're owed or what we're due or what's in it for us rather than the responsibilities that we have and how we are to contribute to those around us. Peter's concern is about what we give, not what we receive. He's not concerned with um, helping us focus our attention on our own self-interest. He wants us to focus on the interests of others. His point is not how we should be served, but how we should serve. He doesn't write to husbands and, and tell them what to expect and anticipate from their wives or vice versa. He also doesn't say that we're to wait and uh, wait to fulfill our responsibilities until others fulfill theirs. He writes to tell them that what they are to offer to the others, he tells them what they're to offer to others 
And he tells them that they are to do so regardless of what the other does. And finally, an actual reminder, we need to remember that Peter is writing to instruct exiles and sojourners um, how to live in a foreign culture and in a society in which they do not fit and do not belong. And his goal is to correct habits, uh, old habits and old patterns of that are associated with unregenerate living. He wants to reduce the animosity between non-Christians and Christians. And he wants to bolster our gospel witness. So keeping these five things in mind, we want to look at how Peter addressed the marital relationship and how Christian wives were to relate to their non-Christian husbands and how Christian husbands were to relate to their Christian wives and how that would create a countercultural home. We want to look at two points tonight. We want to look at the instructions for wives and the instructions for husbands. Children, your words that you're listening for are wives and husbands and submit and submission, honor, respect, gospel, and Christ. Let's begin with the instruction to wives. And while I understand why Stephen Langton would... Um, thought a chapter break was appropriate at this point. Uh, we know from the very first word of chapter 3 that uh, Peter is actually just carrying on the discussion that he's already been having. He's, he's continuing in uh, what he was wanting to say. He, ha- he himself hasn't made a break, and it, it seems to be logical to make a break between sla- the talk of slaves and then husbands and wives, but Um, Really what he was doing was moving from one socially marginalized and powerless group to another and was applying what he had said to the latter now to the former. I'm sorry, uh, what he had said to the former, he's now applying to the latter. In other words, while he changed focus from servants to wives, the slave paradigm is really continuing. And what I mean by that is that Christ remains the preeminent example, and He is the one that we are to model. So just as slaves are to submit to their masters, wives were to be subject to their own husbands. And that word, uh, to subject or to submit, often uh, often refers to voluntary cooperation. It's a voluntary cooperation with another, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that puts the interest of others before our own. It seeks to serve and not be served. It seeks to give rather than receive. But again, this was something more than what was culturally customary at the time. This wasn't something to be done under compulsion. It wasn't passive resignation. It was to be active. It was uh, to be done freely. And it was to be done in reverence uh, to and in, in, or in reference, reference, uh, reverence for and in deference to the Lord Jesus. Right? It was for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was not out of the servile fear of man. 
And there are a few important things to note here. Peter had all, while he had all marriages in mind, uh, he particularly had marriages in which there was a Christian wife married to a non-Christian man. The consensus is that both um, probably had married as non-Christians, but at some point the wives had heard the gospel, they had come to faith in Christ, and, and their husbands had not. And not only were the wives probably younger uh, than their husbands, uh, they were also to take on the religion of their husbands. And so having come to faith in Christ, um, there was a sense in which they were um, rejecting the religion of their husbands and their paganism, and as one commentator said they were actually participating in a divinely ordained rebellion. And Peter's purpose wasn't to be revolutionary or to um, transform the social system in which they lived by altering this household code, but he knew because of how he had seen the gospel work, he knew that when the actual purpose was fulfilled, the code would be quietly and naturally subverted from within. You say, well, what was that purpose? And it was, it was really threefold. One, I think we can safely say, based upon what Peter is going to say to husbands in just a moment, that he wanted to encourage wives not to do anything unnecessary or to create unnecessary offense, which would put them in a position of danger. He wanted them to remain safe, and so he's writing to protect them. Two, I think we can also say, and safely infer, but that he wanted them to abstain from, as we talked last week, he wanted them to abstain from any anger or bitterness that would wage war against their souls. He wanted to encourage them to, to live in their newfound freedom in Christ. And then three, as the second half of verse 1 and verse to tell us very clearly, he wanted them to live in such a way that even if their husbands did not obey the word, they would be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they saw their respectful and pure conduct. Peter was encouraging wives to not only be subject to their husbands out of their own physical protection and out of their own spiritual growth, but also, um, but also submitting, encouraging them to submit uh, for the sake of their, their husband's souls. They were to care about the salvation of their husbands. Yes, they needed to be ready to give a defense for the hope that they had. They needed to be ready to give a verbal testimony of Christ and His gospel. But the impulse would have been to, to repeatedly do so, um, and, and their rightly motivated persistence uh, would very possibly have been interpreted as nagging and would have hardened the hearts of their husbands rather than soften them. And so he encouraged them to live in light of the already and not yet. He was encouraging them to live based upon all the indicatives that we've already been through. He encouraged them to live in the light of the already and not yet. He wanted them to live in, the, in light of who they were as believers in the Lord Jesus. He wanted them to live in that newfound freedom 
that was theirs. He wanted them to live in light of, of the consummation of their salvation that was to come. He wanted them to live in a way that, that reflected their trust in the God in whose hands the salvation of their husbands rested. And we need to be clear, he, he wasn't saying wives needed to live the gospel. Um, Peter, I'm pretty sure, would not have uh, been a fan of the phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And that's because no one could question Peter's love for and his commitment to and his belief in the Word of God and the necessity of the gospel when it came to conversion of souls. But he still understood the importance of a life well lived. In the words of Edmund Clowney, the silent eloquence of a wife's pure and reverent behavior can preach daily the transforming power of Christ. Peter knew, he says, there were situations in which the silent witness of Christian love must support and prepare for the presentation of the truth. Peter also wasn't sanctioning spousal abuse or suggesting a woman should remain in an abusive relationship and continue subjecting herself to belligerent and harmful behavior in the name of submission in the hopes that her husband would change. Domestic violence is not only a sin that needs to be confessed and repented of and prosecuted within the church, disciplined within the church, but it is something that it's a crime that should be prosecuted outside the church by the civil authorities. There's no room within the marital relationship for any type of physical, verbal, emotional, or sexual abuse, or violence, intimidation, or threats. And if it happens, it should be reported immediately to the authorities, to a friend, to a pastor, to an elder, to a deacon within the church. And I want to take this moment to say, if you have been through that, we would love to help you. If you are in that, in that right now, in the midst of that right now, we would encourage you to say something and we would like to help to deal with that and walk with you through that. Well, not only did Peter stress the importance of submission and a silent witness, he also stressed the importance of Wives not drawing attention to themselves through outward appearances. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which in God's sight is very precious. Peter wasn't putting legalistic restrictions on how they could or couldn't fix their hair or regarding what they could or could not wear, whether it be in the day-to-day -day or in worship. He also wasn't saying that those who 
are truly godly, are, um, are sloppy or unattractive, as if homeliness was a Christian virtue. Um, as one pastor put it, Peter wasn't saying frumpiness is next to godliness. And that's because it wasn't what they wore or what they didn't wear that made them acceptable before the Lord. They were acceptable before the Lord because they had been covered in the imperishable blood of Christ and they had been clothed with His righteousness. Negatively, Peter is discouraging sensual fashion, um, sensual fashion that could result in um, their mistaken identity and which would, of course, potentially bring dishonor upon their husbands. But he was also discouraging extravagant fashion um, that could be the source of envy, uh, the source of resentment, uh, a means of impressing others, all of which would create division in, within the body. And he was also discouraging them from gaining their identity from their outward appearance. But positively, he was encouraging their modesty. He was stressing the fact that beauty wasn't something that was defined that outwardly, it was something that was defined inwardly. He was encouraging them to focus on their hearts, not on their looks. Because as we all know, looks fade with time. And the inward qualities of a gentle and calm and quiet and peaceful spirit not only flourish over time, but they're precious in the sight of God. And he didn't ground this instruction in the cultural household code that maintained the patriarchal oppression. He grounded this instruction in redemptive history. Look at verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. As we saw in Genesis, Abraham's record as a husband was less than stellar. All we have to do is go back to his two plans to pass Sarah off as his sister to Pharaoh and to Abimelech. And while Sarah wasn't a perfect wife, we do know that her submission was a willing submission. And Peter says she was an example. She was an example of submission that these Christian wives were to follow. And she was that example because these, these wives had been born again, right? They had been saved. They had come to faith in Christ, which, may, which meant they were, were seed, they were, they were offspring of Abraham and of Sarah. And so they could do that. They could do what Peter was calling them to do because they had been called, they too had been called to fear the Lord and not to fear men, 
They had been called to look to the Lord, no matter what their circumstances might be. And they would be able to fulfill it because of the power of the gospel. Well, Peter, of course, doesn't simply have instructions for wives. He also has instructions for husbands. Verse 7, once again, we see Peter use that term likewise that he used back in verse 1, and he shifts the focus from wives to husbands, and the fact that they were Christian husbands meant that they were to treat their wives differently than non-Christian husbands treated their wives. Therefore, everything that he had said, again, up to this point about humility and about sacrifice and about godliness and about uh, obedience was just as relevant for, the, for them as it had been for their wives and even for slaves. In other words, the relationship between husbands and wives was to be reciprocal. The wives were to be subject to their husbands, and their husbands were to live with their wives in an understanding way. And that means that the husbands were to be with and interact with their wives on an intimate level. And that intimacy wasn't simply physical or sexual in nature. It means that husbands were to give them time and attention that they needed to know them better than anyone. And not only that, Peter said that they were to honor them. And the honor was more than respect. The honor meant that they would treat them as those who had precious value. And Peter said this was proper because they were weaker vessels who were heirs with them of the grace of life. Again, I've already mentioned Peter wasn't being chauvinistic. Peter was, was doing what I wish more people were doing today, and that was he was making an honest, logical, obvious assessment and wasn't afraid to say things and to call things what they were. Peter was saying that women were weaker physiologically. Right? Men were bigger. They were stronger. They were faster. And he says that because he didn't want them to take advantage of those differences and manipulate and intimidate, and dominate, and oppress their wives, and treat them as objects that were to be used and abused. He wanted them to honor them and to respect them. He wanted them to protect them and to treat them as the valuable possession and treasure that they were. Because their wives were co-heirs with them. They were co-heirs in Christ. God had saved their wives just as they had saved them. Their roles in their home were different, but they were equal in value and worth because they were image bearers of God. 
and they had been redeemed. They had been united to Christ just as the husbands had been. The men were stronger, but they weren't more valuable. The women were weaker, but they were not inferior. And Peter wanted them to know that. And then Peter gives a very important reason why they should listen and treat their wives in this way. He said, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He said, in other words, if they didn't live in an understanding way with their wives, not only would their, would their fellowship with God be hindered, but their fellowship with their wives would be blocked and cut off. And what does that tell us? It tells us that marriage is not an end in, in itself. Marriage is a means to an end. Our fellowship with our spouses is important, but our relationship with the Lord is ultimate. And so in light of all this, there are obvious, um, obvious things that we need to consider. And first, of course, I want to do that in the form of questions, and first I want to ask questions of, of our wives. Wives are your lives characterized by putting the interests and welfare of your husbands before your own? Do you prefer to give rather than receive? Do you prefer to serve rather than be served? Does your character and attitude and demeanor demonstrate to your husbands that you are living in light of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ? That you are living in light of your freedom, exercising your freedom, and looking forward to the day when your salvation is consummated, and you're looking forward to the life to come. Have you entrusted your souls, have you entrusted their souls to the Lord? Are you more concerned with your outer appearance or your inner disposition? The pressure you, you are under to adorn yourselves outwardly is tremendous today. Our culture that continues to objectify women is relentless. And over the course of time, I know that it's not uncommon for you to place pressure even on yourselves because of the messages that you hear. But I pray that you would hear me this evening, and not only you, but every, every woman, every young woman, every, every girl... I pray that you would hear the words of the Lord through Peter tonight. Please don't be overly concerned with your physical appearance that reflects the vanity of our culture. Your true, your true beauty is not external. It's internal. It's not tied to how you wear your hair or the clothes that you wear. True modesty is an issue of the heart. True imperishable beauty is gentle, and it's meek, 
It's quiet. It's a peaceful spirit. And those things are precious in the sight of God. Your value and worth is not found in your physical appearance. Your value and worth is found in the fact that you are an image bearer of God. You've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has covered you with His imperishable blood. He has clothed you with His robe of righteousness. Your identity is in Him. In Him alone. Now for the husbands. Is your life characterized by putting the interests and welfare of your spouse before your own? Are you more interested in serving rather than being served? Are you more interested in giving than receiving? And does your character and attitude and demeanor demonstrate that you desire to know your wife? That you're sensitive to her needs, that you, that you sacrifice your preferences and, and change your priorities for her sake? Or do you seek to control and manipulate her? Have you ever felt as if your prayers are hitting the ceiling? Have you ever felt as though your fellowship with the Lord is broken or blocked or cut off? Do you feel that way right now? Have you ever considered it's the result of how you treat your wife? If you're single... Take everything I just said, everything we've read from Peter, and file it away in case you decide that you want to pursue marriage at some point. If you're widowed or divorced, may the truth of the gospel to which marriage points be a balm to your broken heart. For both groups, remember that the Father has given a people, the church of which you are a part, to His Son as a bride, and so the Lord Jesus is your husband. He loves you. He cares about you. You are preciously valuable to Him. Look to Him. May your hope be in Him. And if you're married... I'll be the first to admit I fall woefully short of God's desires being a husband. Husbands, what about you? Wives, what about you? Let's all repent. And let's ask the Lord to help us fulfill what He's laid before us tonight by the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit and grace, would you enable us to receive the word with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. May we meditate on it and hide it in our hearts, and may it bring forth the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Grant us the grace of repentance and help us walk in the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. For your glory, 
and for our good and for the sake of Christ and His church. Amen.